As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell, George Ellick and Bet365's very own Steve Freeth are alongside me as ever to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action which includes Liverpool v Spurs and Arsenal against Leeds. Only one place to start though, absolute classic Champions League encounter on Wednesday night. I mean, I'm pretty sure you weren't (laughs) on Carlo Ancelotti's Christmas card list anyway, George. He's really taken some offence to your comments in, in recent podcasts. Him in the Champions League and Real Madrid in the Champions League this season. It's just been amazing. I should be the first on his list. I, I think he's put my, my quotes up on the on the changing rule at the Bernabeu and said, prove this absolutely <laughs> put nobody wrong. <laughs> uh, I mean, I still just can't really believe what, what we've seen from, from Real Madrid over the course of, of these three games against PSG, Chelsea and, and City. I mean, Lazarus only did it once uh, and they've done it three times. It is... Uh, beyond comprehension, I, I think there's been a lot of talk about Benzema. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Vinicius. I think Rodrigo deserves massive credit um, for the impact that he's had, both in terms of can, scoring. Can we can we talk about that that header for the second goal? Because that header, it didn't really, it kind of went under the radar. I thought it wasn't really talked about. Is it a good header? Ludicrous. Because it because it hit Asensio. But does that not make it? It took like a little nick and it changed. Very up. fortunate. It, it was just impossible for him to do that. He, if that hadn't have hit Asensio. That's going nowhere. Exactly. But isn't that, so is that, is that skill off. or is that fortune? I mean, even Ancelotti spoke after no, the game just, about the need it's for unbe- luck it's in unbelievable. this competition. I mean, it, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Thibaut Courtois deserves just immense credit. He made crucial saves, that save from Bernardo in the first half. And then I think you'll, you'll struggle to see a better save with your feet than the one from Grealish, the, the second shot in about Oof. 20 seconds where to the naked eye, it looked as if he'd, he'd skewed oh, it I think right. he should save the goal though. Uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. You know, Mares kind of sends it the wrong way almost from that angle. He opens his body, mm. then kind of clips it inside. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, an unbelievable night. Although maybe, it, well, in my opinion, ruined a little bit by the the referee, um, who I, I think we have to mention because it's a it's a Champions League semi final, and I think we as, as spectators deserve better. Not only were there massive issues in terms of the timekeeping 
where the amount of injury time added on at the end of the main game and then especially in the second half of extra time. Um, you know, it's not about how long the ball is in play. You know, the ball is in play in a 90-minute game of football way less than you would think. It's about actual time wasting and time where the ball could be in play but there is a stoppage and having to stop it. And the amount of time that was wasted in that respect for there only to be three minutes added on at the end of the second half of injury time, of extra time is is pretty much unforgivable for him to then blow the whistle about 12 seconds before that three minutes is totally absurd and I think we all deserve better there has to be an explanation for it we have to know why this happens because I have no skin in the game I have no didn't I mean I I, I maybe would have liked Kyle Ancelotti to, to stop proving me wrong the whole time in the game but generally as a as a fixture and as a game we should know what is going on and it should be pain, plainly obvious that there should be consistency when it comes to these things. Secondly, you had the Casemiro issue where not only should he have been te- uh, booked for a, a tackle early on in the in the first half, which is kind of forgivable that it was missed. He then hauled down Phil Foden, like t- t- grabbed him on the back. There's, there's so many players that can just do They just do it. They just get away. I was he, at a game earlier in the season at Villa Park and Fernandinho, exactly the same. He should have been sent off. I can't even remember if he got booked. There's always players like but, that. But, the, but the, ref- the referee completely therefore loses control of everything because then Bernardo Silva does the same thing early in the second half and he can't book him because why well, he didn't book Casemiro when he knew he mm. should have done it's a Champions League semi-final where you've got Casemiro a player who is so reliant on breaking up play committing fouls and tackles him being on a yellow card for the majority of that game completely changes the whole complexion of the game and also True. The, the, the way that it's played throughout the inability to give proper injury time only goes to so far as encouraging teams in future to time waste as much as possible because you will get away away with it. It's it's not good enough. It's you know this is this isn't about City. This isn't about Real Madrid. It's not about whoever won last night. I'm sure that three minutes wouldn't have made a difference, but it has to be better. There has to be consistency. Sounds like someone's deflecting to me. Doesn't want to talk <laughs> about the greatness of Angelotta. And he's, he's found someone else to, to pin some stuff on and try and deflect a little bit. Remember, you can sign up to the Athletic for just a pound per month for the first six months and sample the best sports writing in the business, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts by visiting theathletic.com/footballpod. Game one this weekend is Brighton v Manchester United. That's a five thirty p.m. kickoff on Saturday. First off, Steve, terrible TV pick. Yeah, not a great deal to play for, really, is there? I suppose. But if you're if you're Brighton, I think you'd like to be improving your your home form more than anything, really. I mean, haven't they changed massively? One win in eleven games, and then all of a sudden they've won three in the last five, all away from home. Of course, fantastic to see them win at the Custard Bowl last weekend to to win at Molyneux. Home fans booing, considering the season that, that they've had. Uh, eight shots on target they had against Wolves. Incredible, uh, really. You know, got, now Brighton have now got 44 points. And yet if you just look at their form away from home, they're fourth in the Premier League. Incredible with, yeah, very with good 28 away. points, the same as Arsenal and Spurs. You compare that to them being 18th in the table at home and they haven't won at Boxing Day. It's a side that could do with a few more goals, I think, Dan. I don't think that's... Uh, very much of a secret, really. I mean, you look at the well, they've been in the Premier League. You know, Maupai's top scorer this season with eight. Maupai was top goal scorer last season with eight. Admittedly, his XG was was thirteen. Maupai was top scorer of the season before that with ten. And then you go back to Murray, who got double figures with thirteen and twelve. So, I suppose you could argue that they could uh, do with the goal scorer up top. But I think Brighton fans will be very happy with the way it's gone after looking a little bit sticky just a few months ago. 
Yeah, they're so, so streaky, George. But I actually, going going off what Steve said there, I was watching Brighton a few weeks ago. I think it was the Spurs game where they won 1-0. And I was watching them. A lovely build-up play. Play some really nice football. And then they get into the attacking areas and it feels like they freeze a little bit at times. And I'd put something on whatever Brighton do, whatever the transfer budget is. They could just buy a striker and they wouldn't. They probably wouldn't need to buy anyone else if they didn't lose anyone. But I got quite atta- I got attacked by Brighton <laughs> fans. They, they they disagreed with me and 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 said they're they're building something slowly here. This is what they're looking to do to just lump a big sum of money on a striker would be irresponsible. But I would say it's pretty clear that that's almost one of the only things they are missing to be a, a good side to take themselves to the next level. Yeah, I think what Tony Bloom would probably say to you in, in reply to that is that strikers that are proven goal scorers are quite rarely good value. Um, you know, strikers who have had prolific seasons are often off the back of a very hot finishing streak and therefore they will, you know, their value, their price will be will be overblown compared to what they're actually worth. And what Brighton are all about in terms of their transfer recruitment and their policy of recruiting players is finding value, whether that is going and signing, you know, the likes of Bissouma or, or you know, a, a fairly unknown continental player that they have a better handle on than other people and then selling them on or whether it's getting a, a Danny Welbeck in, someone who probably no other Premier League side at the time would have taken a punt on because his career looked to be on a downward trajectory after fitness and form issues. But they saw a player who you know, had once been an England international at major tournaments who was still an age where he could be of an impact. And whilst he may not be prolific, certainly is a pretty useful member of a squad that they were able to get on a cut price because of, of maybe what was perceived as a, a ne- negative trend in his career. So I can kind of see what they're saying. I'm sure it will happen. And the way that they sign players is just way too good for them not to eventually unearth a striker who has the capability, you know, that, in, Mo- in Mope, they have almost the perfect striker for them, where they've got a guy who's very, very good at dropping in deep and linking up play, whilst also being a bit of an XG monster. You know, he's someone who is very good at, at picking up spaces in, in the box to, um, you know, good goal-scoring positions. He's not clinical, and he's never been clinical. He wasn't clinical at Brentford. Even in the season at Brentford, where he was top goal-scorer in the Championship or second top goal-scorer, he was still fairly wasteful in front of goal, and he had a reputation at Brentford for missing easy chances and scoring the more difficult chances and that is a trend that's continued throughout his career and that's just the kind of player that he is for whatever reason but in terms of of Brighton fans saying that they're building something um, over a long period of time they would say they operate in a different way where other clubs would say we need a striker we need to go out and get a striker for Brighton it's we could do with a striker when that right striker comes around we will Mm. you know we'll spend the money to, to get him and I'm sure when they do do that it will probably have a lot of people asking why didn't they do this sooner? But um, they'll say, well, the, the right player, the right person, the right for the right amount of money wasn't available at the time. Any strikers in the AFL off the top of your head that they should be looking at? <sighs> I mean, one's just scored forty-three goals in forty-five games in, in Alexander Mitrovic. He's not could be. Um, well, a bit, a bit. I mean, he he certainly was a player they probably could have recruited last summer um, if they you know they were happy to, to part with you know thirty odd million quid or whatever it was for for Malpe. Um, it had been. Ben Britton Diaz uh, is probably the case in point of the kind of striker I was talking about at the beginning. Whilst he's a wonderful player, he is certainly someone who whoever would have gone out and spent the money needed to get him in January would have been spending money on a player with six months worth of goals rather than a career worth of goals. And that's what you've got to be careful of. So I have a bit of a think. I mean, there will be players undoubtedly um, who could probably do a good job, but you're probably going to see them go for someone 
you know, League One player of the season. Scott Twine is an example of someone who has such a high ceiling who they could recruit from lower. Is he ready to right now be their 20 goal a season striker in the Premier League? Probably not. But he is someone who, if they were to invest in him, invest time in him, he will probably be someone they could sell on for, for a lot of money going forward. And that's the way that they like to operate. What about the man at Swansea, George? Uh, Peru. Peru. So, I mean, with Peru, he's a, a, an interesting case where he's almost similar to Mope, where he's prolific. He was a, an absolute steal at a million pounds, but he scores kind of long ranges. His left-footed shooting ability from outside the area is absolutely incredible. Obafemi is the player they brought in from Southampton, who couldn't get in the team for the first half of the season, but he's probably more the, the type of striker that Brighton needs, someone who's a proper penalty box player who isn't going to really get involved with what's going going on outside the area. But then Graham Potter will say, well, I don't necessarily want that player. I don't want someone who's going to be a you know playing off the last man, scoring maybe 20, 25 goals in a season, but not offering anything else outside the box because that's not the way that he likes to play. So it, it's a conundrum. And um, you know they'll say, if you look at the progress first in the first year of Potter in terms of the, the style of football and the second year now in terms of where they're going to finish this season um, you know, the year on year progress is pretty clear to see and if they kick on again next season I think they're going to be one of these teams that we talk about trying to force their way into the European uh, places yeah, I guess Adam Armstrong at Southampton is probably an example of spending big money on a striker from the AFL and it not working but let's talk mm. about Potter a little bit Steve is it time someone came in for, for Potter in the summer? Brendan Rodgers is always murmuring that he, he might not be with Leicester next season. If Rodgers was to leave, would Leicester be a step up for him? Or in some ways, you kind of feel he'd be better staying where he is. Yeah, I mean, he seems to have a fantastic relationship with the club down there and he seems a very quiet man in his quiet manner. Uh, certainly gets a, a lot of respect from, from the top managers, doesn't he? Whenever he plays them, the way that he plays the game. I, I could see a Leicester possibly being a being a good fit and you know his teams have plenty of possession don't they I think there's only City Liverpool Chelsea that have more than Brighton this season as well tactically he's fantastic doesn't stick to one shape he's he's very fluid he can change it you know during the game as well I wonder if Tottenham Hotspur need a new manager in the summer with Conte leaving so possibly you know that could be the third time they should have gone for him if that happens yeah so so possibly you know uh, Graham Potter who of course ex-Albion and Stoke I would um, I would be pleased to see him you know, get a chance at a really big job. It's it's compo as well. I think that I think the elephant in the room is the compensation here. Um, I obviously don't know the figure, but I'm I'm pretty sure a lot of the clubs that are often linked with Potter have probably asked the question before and then bulked at being told what what Brighton you know the whether it's the release clause or how much they want to release him from his contract. Um, I think he would probably be one of the most expensive managers um, to ever move if if anyone was willing to go and get him from Brighton. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? Like you said, that compensation could be could be a serious drawback. I mean, I, I'm friends with a professional footballer who plays in the AFL and he says everyone in the football world, they all rave about Potter. Anyone mm. who's worked under him, they rave about his method. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with him in the summer. Let's move on to Manchester United now then, Steve. Very different style of play against Brentford. Unfortunately for me, I decided that to back Brentford on Monday night, but they got taken apart by Manchester United. Where's that kind of performance been all season? Can, can we put a direct link to me having a better Manchester United putting in their best display of the season? Yeah, or, or, or maybe coming towards the end of the season, Brentford maybe just a little bit. Admittedly, they'd gone there. It was it felt like a great time to go there to Old Trafford, didn't it? Four games unbeaten for them. They just held Spurs to nil-nil. Murmurings from the fans about the ownership of the football club, etc. Um, but Brentford, you know, made a few defensive mistakes, didn't they? And there was loads of players there with some. Um, 
you know, emotional farewells, just, you know, not in the, of course, in the dugout, there will be changes as well, but on on the pitch also, um, which I'm sure will come onto, you know, these certain players in a moment. But I was surprised. Ronaldo seemed to have um, a, a very strong game as well. Um, and key players that have been very good in previous years, like Juan Mata, you know, stood out like a sore thumb didn't he so um his proper position for probably the first time of course yeah i'm sure i'm sure george will have a mention (laughs) about that now now. yeah yeah very much so but i i I, we all getting a little bit all romantic about it you know he's he's been there for a number of years and um yeah i'm sure there's a reason why he wasn't played there yeah i mean can you believe george he joined manchester united when he was 25 that that doesn't feel right at all i can't remember how many years ago it was since it since he joined now he just left chelsea didn't he just now yeah would it have been 2000 yeah (laughs) 14 he he joined he joined united in 2014 2014 is 25 which doesn't feel right he came to manchester united really you know at the peak of his not the peak of his past but he was he was having a good time at at that point he was out of the chelsea side but was very very highly rated but i feel like he's been out of the team for like six years or something yeah it, it's it, it's crazy and it's it's a waste you have to say as well um you know i was speaking to a friend of mine earlier talking about the conversation used to be um david silva santi cazola or, or juan mata when they were both at their their kind of peaks of their powers all very similar players and you think of the legacy that both well certainly silva's left and, and also cazola a bit of a you know a premier league cult uh cult legend for those who who love their ball playing centre midfielders like i do and for mata mm. you know he's Throughout his career, I think because of his diminutive uh, figure, I think he has been misconstrued. He was always incredibly slow. Um, and that has been a part of his game. I think people never really knew or, or didn't really notice to start with him when he's at Chelsea. He was a player who was so good on the ball and his his trickery, his vision, his movement was just superb and, and such intricate passer as well. So good in tight areas, but not someone who could ever beat a man uh, by, by getting past him. And I think that maybe that... that misunderstanding of his skill set um, has maybe cost him a little bit but certainly his talent on the ball the, how good he is it's it's a you know he's, he's nearly played 200 league games for United so it's not as if he's been out the side the whole time but at the same you know you similarly think given all of their issues over the past few seasons they could have used someone with his ability in the final third um, as we saw on Monday um, I mean Monday night was, was bizarre in my point of view where United were were brilliant that's not the reason it was bizarre it was just a completely different style of play to anything we've seen from United in, in well under Raniak or under Solskjaer either you know they went ahead early on normally game state would dictate and especially with a high pressing manager like Raniak that you concede some possession they I think they completed 650 passes in the game you suddenly have McTominay and Matic looking like Xavi Iniesta in the middle of the park just knocking it between them um, it was completely at odds with what we thought we'd see from the manager and, and not the style of play that we've seen so far from United but it was brilliant to watch and, and I thought Ronaldo and Mata both rolled back the years in a way that I didn't anticipate them they both looked back to their their kind of best former selves almost like the the shackles were off and just they playing without any pressure because they've got nothing to play for anymore like the pressure of maybe trying to get in the top four for the, the the last few months maybe got to them and then they obviously now know that that's not possible and just the shackles came off they were relaxed and played with a little bit of freedom just but, just but on even, the subject even, of even, oh. Rannick's even said in press conferences how he doesn't like you know he doesn't like pointless passes well, I mean, there were plenty of those, <laughs> but they weren't pointless because it enabled them to control the game. It meant yeah, they no were no such thing as a pointless pass, in my opinion. They, if you're exactly, the ball. They, they were consistently had the ball in Brentford's half, which is a, a great way of preventing the opposition from from creating chances themselves. And when you've got 
you know, technically gifted footballers like the ones that they have on display and you're ahead, it's a, it's a good way to protect a lead. And not only did it protect a lead, it also managed to, to create plenty of chances to to increase that lead. They won 3-0 and, and they had disallowed goals and, and the rest of it as well. So, um, yeah, it was a great performance. Yeah, just on the subject of, of Ronaldo, Steve, been absolutely firing in the last the last month or so. Any odds on him for top goal scorer next season? I assume he's going to be with Manchester United next season now. Yeah, it's funny how his season's worked out because he arrived in a blaze of glory, didn't he? You remember at the start of the season, he scored two injury time goals for Portugal against Ireland. Then he got four goals for United in the first, I don't know, the first few, it was like the first month, wasn't it? He was favourite to be top goal scorer. Then he tailed off in the new year before that hat-trick against Spurs and he's got five in the last four. So taking him to 18 goals, I think his backers wouldn't, just a few months ago, wouldn't believe that he'd got that total. So he's in for a chance of an each way place as well. I mean, he would still be age and the amount of times that he plays under the new manager. He would still be in and amongst the top six in the betting. You you would have thought, but it wouldn't be attracting any of my money. Whereas you're looking at United next year, Dan, who are going to be around the 14 to one mark for the title. They're seven to four to finish fifth or below. And, you know, the decline of Manchester United, they're two to seven not to win the title before the start of the 25-26 season. So, uh, yeah, uh, Ten Hag's got a big job on his hands. And what's your tip for this game, George? I mentioned the playing style there and uh, I'd be pretty su- surprised to see Brighton allow United uh, to do that again. And, I- and I'd almost kind of be surprised if that's the, the design either. Um, you look back at the last time Brighton played a team, you know, one of these teams towards the top end of the of the table at home. Uh, they-, they hosted Liverpool. Uh, they lost the game 2-0, but Liverpool only completed 313 passes in the game. Uh, individual players such as Jordan Henderson attempting 34 passes, Fabinho 31 passes, Keita 28 passes. You know, we know that uh, Graham Potter likes his teams to press and uh, looking at the, the player passes, player total passes market, the line for McTominay is over and under 40.5. Uh, he doubled that against Brentford, but hadn't made it, made it up to there. I think in the five games before that, I think it's a little bit high in a, a game and a performance that I'm sure will look very different on the eye uh, for Manchester United. So under 40.5 passes for McTominay at five to six is my is my tip here. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. A really good ball. It's a free header. It's in. It's Luis Diaz. The flag stays down and Liverpool are all the way back. Two goal lead restored. And a man has made such an impact having come on at half time, scores a vital goal for them. Game two is Liverpool v Spurs, 7.45pm kickoff on Saturday. I think that's the usual BT Sport game that's been moved to the evening instead of a lunchtime to accommodate Liverpool and the Champions League. 
going to talk about Luis Diaz and Ibrahima Kanate, who, of course, are two signings that Liverpool have made over the last 12 months. Question for either of you, if you know the answer to this. I've got one that's stuck in, stuck in my head, but I can't think of anyone else. Who's the last bad signing that Liverpool made? A signing that didn't work out? Carius is the only one I can think of. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'd say the Naby Keita signing for value for money is probably the the one where you could question it. Not not he's saying had a good he's, season. I'm a, I'm a I'm a big fan of his. He's a very good player, um, and certainly I was incredibly excited about what he would do when he went to Liverpool. But I'm not sure he would justify the fee. Like if they were to sell him now, they wouldn't be turning over a profit on him. Um, no. Also, no, down the disrespect to say that the reason this is on late is because of Liverpool. It's because of the Championship final day, twelve oh, thirty. <laughs> I assumed it was because of the Champions League. I thought Klopp had kicked off about the having think, to play at lunchtime after I Champions think, League. I, think I, I thought is. it was a big deal with that. So I'm Ben Davies from Preston for two million pounds. That's a bit unfair. Yes, but, uh, there you go. Yeah. I don't count that two million pounds. I'd probably turn a profit on him if, if we're going by the by the profit mm. analysis. Yeah. You've earned two million pounds this season, Dan, with all your appearances everywhere, pal. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I wish I had. He was, so. he, let me, let me he, he was slagging off Sky Sports at the beginning of the podcast, saying they should pick the wrong game. He's not going to get invited back, I think. Yeah, yeah. I've got to be yeah. careful. Yeah, edit that out. <laughs> so edit, edit that out, Adonis. We're all right. We're all right. Brighton v Manchester United. That's a 5.30pm kickoff on Saturday. First off, Steve. Terrible TV pick. Terrible TV pick. Terrible TV pick. Won't be on sports news anytime soon. But <laughs> Spurs fans will be watching Luis Diaz probably line up. He, he didn't start in midweek, so I'd expect him to come in and, and play this game. George, imagine if Spurs had got that over the line. Like I say, they'll, they'll, they'll be watching Luis Diaz just thinking what could have been or what might have been. Do you not? Do you not? I mean, I, I'm so interested by this because I mean, I agree. I think he's been phenomenal, and it's for him to have come in straight into the Premier League and have the impact that he's had to to unsettle. You know, we, we thought that Diogo Jota was the you know the, um, the the one who was unsettling that that front three, but you know Diaz is, is is becoming the player that they've got to create the front three around because he's been so good. Not only you know Jota came in and started jostling and probably getting ahead of Firmino for that centre forward role but you're now basically looking at Mane, Jota and Firmino battling for that because Diaz is, is pretty close to making that that left wing position his own but what in my mind Liverpool are such a you know a, a well-oiled well-drilled winning machine that it is the perfect place for a new signing to come and play their football do, do you think that if Luis Diaz had gone to Spurs he would be having the impact that he's having because I I'm not at all saying I don't think he'd have been a good signing and you'd have to look at Kulisevsky to see that you know a player who'd, who'd done far less in his senior career so far has come in and had a massive impact but similarly it's hard to imagine that the Diaz would have come into Spurs and immediately been one of the league's best players um, you yeah, know I, I think that. it maybe would have taken time but you know it's completely testament to what uh, what Liverpool have done and it's also interestingly completely at odds with, with what happens at Manchester City where we see players go to City and they almost have to change the player to fit the way that they want to play you know we've seen it with Bernardo Silva we've seen it with Riyad Mahrez I think we're probably going to see it with Jack Grealish where it takes almost at least a year for for new signings to go to City uh, and really make the position their own whereas with Liverpool they have an unbelievable record of bringing in players who haven't necessarily been operating at the level needed to be a Liverpool player before that's not I'm not being snobbish here towards Luis Diaz or to the Portuguese league or, or anything like that but that is just a fact you know they are stepping up in terms of, of what's needed from them and settling in so incredibly quickly where it almost looks as if they've been playing at that level for for, for longer I think that is 
you know, in, in the in the Pep Guardiola Jurgen Klopp debate of who's the better manager, not one I'm going to get into now. Um, I think that is a, a massive strength of Klopp's is that he is able to bring in players as if they are pre-packaged for Liverpool, uh, rather than having to to spend time developing them and, and changing their mentality and their style of play. We even saw Pep mm. Guardiola talking about Phil Foden this week and saying how important it is that he needs to introduce a, a pause, a, a pause into his game. You know, start stop playing always at a, at a million miles per hour, and maybe sometimes put his foot on the ball, let the play move around him before moving it on. I have a feeling if Jurgen Klopp has had Phil Foden in his side, he he wouldn't be trying to change anything. Um, he'd, be, he'd be just making sure he got the best out of that player in, in, in what is already uh, the system that he likes to play. Yeah, no time to pause in a Liverpool front row. No. Time. It, it moves so fast. I, I think your point about Diaz and Spurs is actually true because I think I presume Diaz would have been playing the wrong side at Spurs as well because of Son playing mm. on the left. Obviously, he comes straight into Liverpool and he's playing on, on the left-hand side, which is his, his favourite favorite position. And that, that's a big thing as well. A less celebrated signing, Steve, is Ibrahim Makanata. I mean, I'm not sure what they're giving their centre-backs at Leipzig. Obviously, Upa Makana is a phenomenal centre-back. Went to Bayern Munich. Canate has had a bit of a, a slower journey this season. Seems very much to be the Champions League centre-half. But he hasn't lost a game in 24 appearances in, in all competitions for Liverpool. He's only 22. How much have you liked what you've seen from him this season? Well, as someone who backs centre-halves to score, Dan... Then to I'll, good effect. Yeah, to very good effect. <laughs> to good effect with those. You know, he scored the, in three successive games, didn't he? Uh, two games against Benfica and, of course, and Manchester City in the in, in the FA Cup. So, delighted. Clearly, we saw him against Villarreal. Um, I think only Trent had more touches in that game. He won all his duels um, that he had as well. Um you know, reading reports of, of, of people who watch him week in, week out, they've been very impressed and they're going to say, they're kind of saying he's going to be an automatic starter next season, challenging Matip, obviously, he was, he was also a, a very good uh, centre-half as well. So again, another great signing, as we've touched on. It was a bad game for us, guys, anyway. I, I don't expect you to get the, the violins out with Liverpool. We'd already paid out on Villarreal because they'd gone 2-0 up. And then, of course, they bring Diaz on, who ended up getting man of the match, had more touches than Salah in the game. It was was absolutely fantastic so so yeah I'm just a little bit uh, saddened by the results but from uh, from a quad point of view <laughs> it carries on it was Fabinho that started the upset for you Steve but a big season for Fabinho added, added a few goals to his games obviously we know he's a sensational penalty taker but he's popped up with a few big goals this season and he obviously set Liverpool on their way to coming back midweek also, I really like his interviews on a separate note when, when he speaks I find him very jolly I enjoy listening to him <laughs> speak Having a really good season, a bit, uh, very much an unsung hero at Liverpool. I'm sure the Liverpool fans who watch him every week will know how important he is, but to, to, the, to the outside looking in, probably someone who doesn't get the credit he deserves. It's one for the older viewers here, but I was speaking to a, a Liverpool pal of mine today and he called him a modern day Ronnie Whelan. Now, you'd probably, you, might have to, you might have to Google that. I know who he is. Um, yeah, so um, you know, the way he breaks up play and goes about his business as well, and he certainly caused... Uh, Villa, I read Michael Cox's piece, he kind of caused Villarreal problems, a lot of problems in the, in the second half. And he just seemed to be in acres of space on the right for that, that that first goal. They didn't know what to do with him, whether to pass him on or to go with him as well. So it was a it was a great finish. It was a catalyst for a fantastic comeback. Yeah, and Real Madrid, Liverpool in the final, George. Salah, it's what Salah wanted. I was going to say, is it a good result or is it a bad result? But it's what the best player in the Premier League wanted. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a shame in my mind, that we're not going to have the showdown between the two English clubs to an extent. Um, you know, I, I, we're going to still see them going head to head. I mean, there's still a chance if they finish on on equal. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty close to finishing on, on all records equal at the top end of the Premier League, which could mean we get a Premier League final, which could be interesting. Oh my God, um, can you imagine? 
I think in terms of, of pure box office drama, having these two locking horns again with Liverpool baying for revenge with Real Madrid's um, Champions League campaign probably going to be made into a, a feature film uh, sometime in the next couple of years, given the drama that's been going on there. Um, Dan, I hear you're up for playing Don Carlo. Um, it's 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 going to be it's going to be an incredible spectacle, and I think you know we, we've we've seen a couple of City Liverpool games this season that have both been really absorbing tactical battles. I think this this Liverpool Real Madrid game is just going to be total carnage. It's going to be unbelievably end to end. I can't imagine any other way that this is going to play out. Um, because I don't think Real Madrid are going to do anything but send men forward whenever possible and try and hit uh, Liverpool on the counter. Whereas we know that Liverpool have one one way of playing and it normally works pretty well. Um, so disappointed not to get the the Klopp Pep showdown, but similarly, um, I think it's going to be an almighty uh, tussle when we do get to the final in a few weeks. I make a lot of shouts, so obviously every now and again I'm wrong. Like, in fact, more often than not, I'm wrong. I actually think <laughs> Liverpool will beat Liverpool will beat them quite comfortably. The Favs. I don't, I don't think I don't think it will go the way. Yeah, strong yeah. Favs, Dan. They wanted to 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 lift the cup here, so it's uh, yeah we do expect. If Manchester City would have got through, Manchester City would have been favourites. So from uh, yeah, so their odds did actually shorten in for the quadruple into five to one after Manchester City went, uh, went out last night as well. So we have been 1500 to one and we're now five to one for, uh, for such an event. Okay. Thank you very much, Steve. Now there was a graphic after the Leicester win for Spurs that has son above everyone else in the list of non penalty goals this season. Charlie Eccleshare writes that he is the Premier League's best two footed goal scorer ever. Steve, can you oh. think of anyone better than son? I mean, his left foot, he seems to be, it seems to have got better with his left foot this season. I don't know whether I've just not noticed it before, but he's hit some absolute pearls with that left peg. Great story. I, re- I read that earlier. The fact that his dad trained him and his brother, didn't let them play in teams until they were teenagers, improving their technique, using both feet, which is, I, I was going to say rather embarrassingly, but I, I, I take my five-year-old outside in the garden and we have a play and I, I, I try and make him use both feet and get a little bit annoyed when he doesn't use his left foot it's it's, it's rather it is rather embarrassing but uh, I, I think he, I, I had a little chuckle to myself when I read that story but what a player he's only three behind Salah now he's talking about the golden boot not being important to him he was 100 to 1 in March he's 33 into 12s after his hat-trick against your mob Dan he's 9 to 1 now he's still 100 to 1 for the for the PFA and just the fact of his non-penalty goals you know per, per 90 is like 0.64 which is incredible his goals and assists as well he looks odds on to reach 20 league goals for the first time this season what a team player both feet assists work rate I can't imagine him being a nightmare in the dressing room either what no, a player what a player goal. Yeah, yeah. Although, did you guys notice his um, introduction to social media this week? No. So Son uh, Son to much fanfare uh, created a Twitter account, posted a nice photo of him in a hoodie, saying, "This is me, guys. Follow my Twitter account." Everyone got incredibly excited, and then the very next day, "Hey guys, sign up to my NFT and buy these NFTs oh, here." Come on, Son. Come on, Son. And I think you, everybody's illusion. Was uh, was shattered yeah. sadly. I mean, Spurs will obviously be a little bit concerned about losing Kane. Although personally, I don't think that they will at all. Should they be worried about losing Son? It always feels like it just seems to be assumed he's going to be at Spurs for the rest of his career because you never hear of him linked with anyone. 
Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the reason why. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if um, that kind of result for City feels like one of those results where it suddenly sees City go out and spend about £300 million on new attackers. And um, and I do wonder if they might, you know, have a little look at Son. It's not somebody, you know, he's, in terms of his age, he's, he's not a particularly attractive uh, proposition um, long-term, but certainly bringing in someone who can immediately improve you, who has uh, incredible calibre in terms of scoring goals at the Premier, at Premier League level. And he probably wouldn't necessarily break the bank in terms of what he would cost because of his age. Um, there are worse shouts, I would say. Yeah, I'd argue the reason why we never talk about him leaving is A, because of Harry Kane, and B, just because as far as we're aware, no one's ever actually just, you know, show much of an interest in, in buying him. I think it's a weird one because if Harry Kane's ever out, Son just goes and plays through the middle and does an excellent mm. job. If Son's out, I think they've got bigger problems, Spurs. I think, I think he's their most important player. So or his agent doesn't go banging the, banging the drum, does he? And he's yeah, got three, he's got he's got nice three years agent. left on his deal as well. So he's got three yeah. years left and on his 30. deal. So. I mean, he's not, he's not, not old, Steve. Thanks, thanks Dan. Nervous. Cheers, pal. <laughs> Steve, what's your tip for this one? I mean, there's been some goals between these two in recent seasons, but I'm going for a nervy Liverpool win with the Reds to win and under three and a half goals, currently around the seven to five mark. Game three, massive game at both ends of the table. Arsenal, of course, gunning for the top four and Leeds now fighting for their lives to stay in the Premier League. That's the 2pm on Sunday kickoff. Steve, I'll come to you for this one. Arsenal were able to call on two unlikely goal scorers in their 2-1 win over West Ham with Mikel Arteta hailing his side's ability to win ugly after the game. They haven't got a star striker, Arsenal. Can they hurt teams in more ways than Spurs? Because they do kind of spread the goals around. Even even the centre-halves pose a threat at set players, as we discovered last week. Clearly, you come to me first because I've been been crowing about a winner who, who admittedly, I've been backing over a cliff for probably since he last scored, which was for Bolton against MK Dons in 2016. Crazy. So, uh, And it's, it's, it's his second-ever league goal and his first-ever Premier League goal. And I had kind of given up hope. And then I... The teams flashed up and, uh, you know, West Ham's back four was Fredericks, uh, Zuma, uh, Creswell, uh, Soufal. Suchek was on the bench. Antonio was also on the bench. And you just, I was just kind of thinking, just about a sack of set piece here and just holding, who's XG is like ridiculous. Could be his time to score here. So I ended up backing him first, any time. I even backed him to have two or more shots on target, 100 to 1, which unfortunately didn't cop so I was just praying for a second half shot even just a shot on target but no and of course Gabriel also scored as well so that was pleasing of course Arsenal probably one of their less convincing performances in their last three but you know who cares for them and you know they have got other players you know on the pitch also capable of scoring as well um, and Arsenal very much favourites to finish in the top four so a decent Sunday for once for me in the punting stakes yeah Low maintenance players like Rob Holding, you know, they're, they're, they're crucial to Arsenal to bring him in for a game like that and him to, him to score, George. You know, low maintenance, probably good in the dressing room. The other players were like him. You could see in his interview with Ramsdale afterwards. If you're going to be a successful club, it's critical that you've got players like that. Definitely. And I think these days, it's something we mentioned on this pod a couple of weeks ago, um, because there's such an obsession over over transfers and, and the transfer market and it often seems like fans of clubs would prefer to sign a new player rather than win a game of football at, at times. Um, I think players like, like Rob Holding, who you can be pretty much assured is going to be offer you you know, a, a 7 out of 10 performance consistently, um, who is, as you say, a good, um, a good presence in the dressing room, who is homegrown, is, is essential. And you even look at 
you know, we mentioned this last week, Arsenal's centre midfield duo of Elneny and Shaka, who are currently playing in that centre midfield too, at a time where Arsenal are picking up points and wins consistently every week. And, you know, Elneny, we know his limitations. You know, we know that he is not a player who is going to, um, you know, change or, or, you know, he's not going to be one of the elite midfielders in the Premier League. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a role to play. That doesn't mean that he cannot be a positive influence for Arsenal. And that's what we're seeing now. And, and I'd, I always think that we can often get carried away by um, the players who have a flash of brilliance rather than those who are completely dependable and able to do a job consistently for you and are happy to remain at the club even if they're not playing every week. Yeah, William Saliba, been nominated for League Un's Young Player of the Year, Steve. Lovely accent. Arsenal fans, want, they want him back in the back in the squad, don't they? They, they want him in the mix. But, you know, he's going to probably want to come in. And when I say about low-maintenance characters, I imagine if Saliba goes back to Arsenal, he wants to start, but he's got two very good centre-halves to, to, to get past. Is that a good problem for Arteta? I, th- I think so. I, I managed to speak to someone who's actually going to the Marseille game this evening because we're recording on a Thursday who watches a lot of French football. Um, he's done the rounds, hasn't he, um, on loan over the last three seasons. He's now got international uh, recognition as well. So, um, And Marseille, of course, have done well in the, in, the, in the Conference League. He seems to think that he could probably do with just one more season away from the Premier League. He's, he's very impressed with him on the ball, his pace. He's been very calm. He also told me they come from the same Paris suburb as uh, Mbappe as well. He said he was very, very impressed with him, a quality player, but he's not the best Arsenal player at Marseille this season. Guendouza? Yes. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. been, uh, he, he's been absolutely incredible. I think he's finished at Arsenal, unfortunately. Though, yes, I think after that, I don't yeah, think yeah. you'll see him back there. Not, not with yeah, Arteta there. He's absolutely anywhere. superb. In terms of yeah. pure raw talent, I mean, I know that a lot of, well, I mean, I remember even at the time a lot of Arsenal fans scoffed uh, with people who said that. But he's, you know, he's got. I mean, there's something about Arsenal having players who have so much raw ability, and um, it's great to see Guendouzi putting it to good use now. Yeah, I mean, this is a this feels like a big weekend in the top four race because you know there's a decent chance George that Spurs are gonna gonna lose to Liverpool at the at the weekend. Arsenal can go five points clear in fourth then, if, if ahead of the North London derby next week. This weekend could decide it. Yeah, it looks that way. Um, it does, and, and especially because of the way that the games fall, as we know now, with with uh, Arsenal being aware of what's happened with Spurs. It'll be interesting to see how that changes things because we've seen Arsenal excel in recent weeks as being the team playing catch up, as being the side who who kind of have had to close and then and then try and pull clear of, of Spurs. Uh, if Spurs do drop points against um, against Liverpool or, or lose the game, then suddenly it's gonna the narrative's gonna change, and it's up to Arsenal to to basically drive that nail uh, down. Uh, the final nail and ensure that it's theirs to have and that's a different proposition but they're playing so well at the moment you'd anticipate they should be okay although I mean the old I'm sure they wish they were playing a lead side who are who are home and dry and safe rather than one who are going to be scrapping for their lives trying to to uh, to get an all-important three points because they're currently the team who are the most likely according to the odds and everything else to be um to be relegated yeah we did a relegation roundtable on this podcast feed earlier on in the week and after doing it, I walked away from it, Steve, thinking Leeds, Leeds could really go here. They're, they're the ones that feel like they've got the least momentum, which is a bit unfair because I think Jesse Marsh has actually done well since he's gone in, but they, they're suddenly just looking massive, massive danger. But it was only, it only seems like a few games ago, they were 10-1 to 1 for relegation and all of a sudden they're into 5-4, they're into to 4, aren't they? You're back it, Rob Holding, but you didn't get on that, Steve. No, exactly. Yeah, good Marsh, Jesse Marsh on the pitch, applauding the fans after the Manchester City game, Arsenal away, Chelsea, you've got Brighton 
at home, haven't, haven't they, as well? And, and we've seen what Brighton are capable of away from home. But I think the injury to Stuart Dallas also to the to the football club is, mm. is, a, is a huge blow for Leeds United. Phil Hay told us that relegation would mean that all the good work under Bielsa's reign would go up in smoke, George. Is that true? Do you think that's true? Because, you know, whatever happens, the, the memories of those first few seasons for Leeds fans, I don't think you'd ever take them away after so long being absent in the top flight. I, I think the good work that he's done in terms of, of rebuilding Leeds Football Club would be undone to, to a pretty high level. Um, I, of course, you know, the memories and their relationship with him, you know, those couple of seasons, I think, um, including the season where they uh, lost in the playoffs against Derby. Um, they won't forget for a long time. Um, and even last season as well, in their, in their first league season back in the Premier League. Uh, but in terms of, of what he built, um, it was such a titanic effort to get them back into the Premier League. Uh, to return after two seasons will, will feel like a massive blow. And then you've got to add to that that it's impossible in my mind that Calvin Phillips or Rafinha uh, or Rodrigo or probably even Cooper or Meslier, I mean, these guys just are too good to be playing championship football next season and I'm sure they'll move on. So all those players who are so defined in the era of of Marcelo Bielsa, probably with the exception of the likes of, of Ailing and, and Dallas, as uh, if Dallas, you know, hopefully he returns to fitness, will be gone. Um and that's going to be very difficult for him to take. It, there's also, I think, one maybe underreported kind of aspect of this, probably because it happened in the championship, is that Leeds' relationship with Frank Lampard uh, <laughs> is is quite remarkable. Where obviously, as as a Chelsea player back at a time where Leeds and Chelsea were not particularly keen on each other, uh, it wasn't great. And then we had Spygate with Leeds spying on on Derby sessions um, in the press, which was, and then the incredible Marcelo Bielsa, um, you know, the the the, the projection uh, that he showed afterwards and then and then the semi-finals as well in the, in the playoffs which those incredible games which saw Derby get past Leeds and, and consign them to another season in the championship and now it's Frank Lampard in charge of Everton picking up these incredible results against teams they're meant to lose to that's, that's seeing a Leeds spiral um, Leeds fans must be absolutely sick of the sight of him and they'll be desperate to get the last laugh uh, at the end of the season yeah, do go back and listen to that relegation roundtable podcast on this feed if you haven't done so already. It's really, really good listen. Not, not because I'm on it at all, but listening to the relegation threatened writers talk about the, the, how mm. they see their chances of staying up. It, it's really, really interesting. So yeah, go back and listen to that if you haven't done already. George, how is this game playing out? In terms of a of a, of a tip, I think you've got to look at the bookings markets here. Um, not only do Arsenal have plenty of players who, uh, you know, are, are ball carriers who get fouled a fair bit you know looking at Saka Erdegaard uh, Martinelli um, Smith Rowe uh, even Nketiah I know these are, are guys who, who Leeds are going to have to contend with and um, you know looking at the Leeds bookings this season as well they're, they're the most booked team in the Premier League by absolutely miles they've had 94 yellows and one red card the next most is Newcastle with 76 so they've had 18 more yellow cards than any, any other team in the Premier League this season. Looking at the most likely players to get booked, unsurprisingly, you've got Furpo at 11-10, to 10, you've got Calvin Phillips at 6-4. to 4, But the player who commits the third most fouls uh, for um, Leeds this season is Matthias Click, who should start next door to Calvin Phillips uh, in, in that midfield duo. Uh, in recent weeks, he's been fouling a fair bit, as he always does. You know, he committed... He committed three fouls in 66 minutes against Southampton, two fouls in 59 minutes against Watford, two fouls in 46 minutes against Palace, and then three fouls in the 90 against against City. Uh, if he continues like that, I think he's a fair chance to get booked. He's already picked up six or seven this season, and he's three to one to do so, which I think is the value play. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Last game that we're going to look at today is Manchester City v Newcastle, which is the 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. I said to him, I watched the game with my dad last night, Steve, and I said, this this could affect Man City in the title charge mentally now, because that's, that's a difficult one to recover from. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I thought the same. And there has been a little bit of money down for Newcastle to win the game, 20s into 16s. They are still... Odds on to win the title, though, at 2-5 to five with Liverpool at 2-1. to one. It's incredible to believe, guys, that City were 1-1,000 to 1, to reach the Champions League final with, with, with Real Madrid at 100-1. to 1. So it was a terrible result for the bookmakers again. The second semi-final, not that you're going to be bothered about that either. But, I mean, City at home to Newcastle is normally a home win in, in, in the top flight because they haven't lost since against Newcastle since Mariah Carey and Westlife are number one with against all odds in September 2000s Alan Alan Shearer trademark header would you believe that but listen City were actually City were actually relegated that season the Manchester City team Alfinger Haaland was in that team listen to this for a name in the team George Weir was in that team. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. He, the back he, of his Chelsea season. He got one goal for City. Ballon d'Or winner and a future Ballon d'Or winner's father. Father. He got one goal in the league for that. was at Anfield. Yeah, George, you, you'll like this one. He got three versus Gillingham in the League Cup second round. What He went to a replay. Him, one chop and Paul Dickoff were up front against Newcastle. Can, can he, he do it, do it on a Tuesday night at Priestfield? You can. Exactly that, yeah. But, yeah, it, 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 I, yeah, I think if you're if you're a Liverpool quad holder, you're thinking, we saw Newcastle last week. They're a lot better than they were a few months ago. This is a, this is a good chance, possibly, for us to go ahead. Yeah, especially with Joel Linton, St. Maximin on the break, a, a little bit of pace. It's a great factage there from you, Steve. Real bit of nostalgia. George, Kyle Walker, is it a coincidence that all of Real's goals were scored after he left the pitch through injury? I don't know whether, whether you've heard it, but Arsene Wenger was doing some punditry and it, he said Man City are a different team if Kyle Walker goes off and ultimately he was proved correct. Yeah, I think there's probably something in that. You look at where the goal came from, the, the equaliser with Vinicius down that left-hand side. Um, you know, Cancelo isn't as good a defender or as quick as Kyle Walker is. Um, having said that, I thought Walker was totally asleep at kickoff, and and Vinicius missed a, an opportunity at the back post where not only was Walker kind of caught napping, but then when he actually looked to close down the run, he he kind of went into no man's land where he, rather than taking Vinicius or looking to close the gap on the inside, he was kind of between the... He wouldn't have stopped the ball getting to, uh, I think it was Benzema through the middle, and he wasn't there to cover Vinicius either. So, And, and he was quite clearly injured pretty much throughout the whole game. So he's a massive player for them. That There's no denying that at all. Um, 
and, and you know, the, the sooner he comes back, the, the, the good thing is for Carl Walker, for Manchester City generally, is that there aren't very many Viniciuses in the Premier League. There aren't very many players who can do what he did to um, whoever was playing right back for City or whoever would be playing right back for anyone uh, on that occasion from them to the end of the season. Uh, I think there's a, an argument that this is their toughest game going in now. I think Newcastle have proven themselves now. It's it's in the underlying data as well. They are a proper top seven, top eight team under, under Eddie Howe. And they come into this um, having just been beaten narrowly by Liverpool, having done themselves absolutely no shame at all. Uh, and City, as we say, have to bounce back from what was not only just a, a, a disappointing night. I mean, that is almost a career-definingly disappointing night for a lot of those players. That will be the lowest they've ever been. Um, even yeah, more definitely. so than losing the Champions League final last year because oh, 100%, 100%. they because they'd won, they'd won. So it's going to be hard to, you know, it's going to be tough for Pep and his management, his man management methods to try and get them back up for this game and get himself back up for it as well. It's not only the mental fatigue as well as the physical fatigue. The fact they've played on Wednesday, you know, Newcastle have had a, had a free week again. That's the problem when you get into the latter stages of, of continental competition. The teams you're playing against have pretty much had had a week off, so they've got that mental fatigue. They've got that physical fatigue as well. And it's going to take its toll, I think, in the second half. Uh, so in, in extra time, they looked fairly knackered. So I, I guess the only thing you could say that positive for them is that a lot of their key players have been taken off, which wasn't a good thing at all for them during extra time. You know, you looked at certain players uh, who weren't on the pitch and, you, you know, every time the ball came inside in the second half of extra time, it came into to Fernandinho and you didn't want Fernandinho there. You wanted De Bruyne there. Uh, but De Bruyne came off, of course. Mares came off. Those players should be fresher uh, for that. Although I'm pretty sure... Um, City fans would rather have had them playing for that last half an hour last night or, or even hour last night um, rather than having them fresh for this game on Saturday. There was a great piece on The Athletic from Chris Woff around Newcastle and the need to add a striker to their ranks. Callum Wilson should be on his way back and should be probably play at some point towards the end of the season. Chris Wood, as much as Eddie Howe's raved about him, it probably hasn't quite worked out the way it planned for them, although obviously it did weaken Burnley at the time. They'll go big for a striker in, in, in the summer. Who, who would you be looking to recruit if you were head of recruitment at Newcastle? I mean, it is so difficult. Um, I think Ivan Tony is a really interesting prospect where um, I think we have to temper ambitions a little bit in terms of, of who Newcastle are going to be able to attract. Um, I, I You know, all the talk a, a year or so ago about Kylian Mbappe, I think we're now starting to see that teams like Newcastle can't acquire new ownership and just go out and buy the best in the world but I think players you know, Bruno uh, Guimaraes is a, is a very good example of someone who quite clearly has the talent to go to the very top but they managed to kind of intercept his upward trajectory and take him on at a time where he's still progressing that way and I think Tony is someone who could do that um, you know he had a pretty poor spell at the club um, when he was you know brought in too early in his career and, and, and then they got relegated and Rafa Benitez clearly given the mandate to get Newcastle back to the Premier League, wasn't too interested in, in playing an 18-year-old striker who'd just been signed from Northampton. Uh, but he's someone who I think offers pure goals. Um, he's also very good at running the channels. He's a very clever player, bags of confidence and uh, an English player to boot as well. So, and, you know, even though he will cost them a fair few quid, Newcastle are probably one of the one of the few sides who uh, who wouldn't bulk at whatever Matthew Benham and Brentford would, would want. So he'd probably be the one that I'd be hoping for. And I see it's been touted a little bit in the press as well. I don't know if there's anything in that. They've been linked with Darwin Nunes, George, but potentially, you know, he'll want to play for a Champions League team, I would have thought. Although... The big money at Newcastle probably would help them recruiting someone like that. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, he's again a very good example of someone similar to that where he's he's at Benfica, he's scoring absolutely bagfuls of goals. He's 22 years old and he's destined to play for 
um, you know, to, to play for an elite team at some point. And if they can, maybe it would be a year too early for, for one of the, you know, the elite in Europe to, to, to take a plunge on him. And that's those are the risks that they're going to have to take in order to attract those players, is try and intercept that big move, to try and get in there early, to, to basically take a punt on maybe uh, a smaller sample size of, of good performances rather than, than players who are, you know, rather than stepping into uh, the negotiating table alongside clubs that can already offer European football. So um, it, it, I guess it comes down to two things. Firstly, the player's ambition and secondly, by how money-driven they are. If you've got a guy who's happy to cash in on his 30 goals in 50 games by getting a, a five-year contract on on you know elite salaries, even if not playing European football, then then kind of that's the market you want to go for. And I do think that, you know, Bruno making that step in January and having such a good second yeah. half of the campaign is very good news for Newcastle because they can point to him and say, look, this is a guy who was doing it in Europe. We got him and he's having a great time and he's progressing. Um, and that might just swing the pendulum a little bit in their favour with some of these uh, players, especially on the continent. You got a tip for this one, George? Yeah, I mean, it's a massive price, but I think... Newcastle could be worth a, a couple of quid at 16 to 1. As I say, I think they are legitimately one of the best teams, um, well, one of the best outside the, the top four or top six in the Premier League. We're seeing that consistently now. Um, and with the massive unknown about how City are going to be able to bounce back from this, because we have to remember City have won a lot of Premier Leagues in the last few years. The, the Champions League is the absolute holy grail for them. And if there is going to be a time where they might just slip up, uh, I think this Saturday could be it. So, you know, you can also look at the, the draw no bet market as well. Double chance, Newcastle or draw is four to one. Uh, I think just finding a way to basically get against City, uh, I think is the value here. Yeah, thank you very much, George. Just enough time for me to remind you to subscribe to The Athletic today and you will gain full access to all the brilliant articles and ad-free podcasts for just a pound a month for the first six months. To take advantage of that offer, head to theathletic.com slash footballpod. My thanks to George and Steve as always and of course everyone for listening as well. Please remember to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our new Ornstein on Monday podcast is available every Monday lunchtime on this feed to Athletic and Apple Plus subscribers only. And Mark Chapman and the main pod will be available as per usual from Monday evening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.